0: Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, we will discuss a mega trend, one that has had a profound impact on our lives over the past nearly three decades, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Moreover, you can expect its impact to be even bigger over the next few decades. I'm speaking about the internet. We're very fortunate to have a wonderful guest expert to speak to us about the World Wide Web, such as how it's evolved, where things stand now, and what are some web developments we may see over the next few years. Our guest is Paul Nix. Paul Nix is Vice President of Domains, Investors, and Corporate at GoDaddy. Paul's background is in computer science, which led to his first job with GoDaddy in 2007 as an engineering manager on the aftermarket team. After meeting several colorful industry characters at a conference later that year, he was hooked on domain investment and has spent his career searching for ways to grow the domain aftermarket industry. In his free time, Paul likes to go camping, hiking, and snowshoeing with his wife and two boys. He's also an avid football fan and has been described as a decent basketball player. Paul lives and works in Iowa. Hi Paul, welcome to Looking Forward. Howdy. Good to have you here from Iowa. That's
1: right, Eastern Iowa.
0: Eastern Iowa, we like our Hawkeyes. Paul, can you share with our listeners how you became interested and involved with websites, website domains, hosting? We might later on talk about uh, the aftermarket. That's another topic. And, uh, And how did you wind up with GoDaddy? Was this something that you had planned for or did you sort of
1: evolve into this? Well, I'll say uh, on the internet field in general, absolutely planned. Uh, fascinated by it from uh, my time in high school, so I, I graduated in '93, which of course dates me, but that's okay. But that's it. Really, was the the early days of the internet, and so I had learned in, in high school on kind of what HTML was and how to do your basic HTML page, and decided to to take that uh, into college. So. You know, did did a few different uh, college trips where i I did computer science and you know computer software engineering. I ended up a in an IT department I think a lot of kids out of college end up in an IT department and my specialization was taking intranet or internal websites and you know taking what somebody else did and reverse engineering it, making it better, uh, tying in the the databases and all those things. So along the way I just learned, you know, web application development with the, the various languages from, you know, classic ASP to ASP.net and as the industry grew. And from that, you know, it's perfectly fine. You can kind of take those skills and, and do go to any company in the world, any industry in the world, because everyone needs okay. uh, software engineers that understand, you know, the internet and, and internal internets and stuff. Uh, but I happened to, to be good friends with somebody who worked at GoDaddy and, you know, GoDaddy, in 2000 I want to say 2005 or so was the year that we capitalized on the uh, the Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake uh, Super Bowl oh, big yeah. snafu. Oh, yeah. we ran a Super Bowl ad the following year. Oh well that ad was wildly successful and, and GoDaddy saw growth after that initial ad uh, that was astronomical and they thus started a uh, doing a lot of hiring. And while lucky for me, GoDaddy had a large office in the Cedar Rapids area, and a good friend of mine went over there, brought me over and said, hey, this is a cool growing company, internet field, things that they knew I liked, uh, why don't you come over? So I came over as an engineering manager, uh, working on what we called our, our cash parking product, which is a um, domain monetization, it's in the aftermarket, And that was it. I I fell in love, went to a few conferences uh, around the domain industry and the domain investor industry, kind of really learned to love the, the types of people that are in this industry and kind of all their various divergent backgrounds and such. And so I'd say, yeah, kind of planned, but kind of fell into it at the same time.
0: Boy, that's really interesting, Paul, because when I think about the time in which you were in high school, you came into full development. At the time, the internet was really coming into full development. What a great time. And you had that as an interest. And it makes me wonder, I wonder if I would have been you know, as interested when I was in high school, if they had the internet. When I was in school, I remember space was like the big thing. So that's a fascinating story. And then getting to the GoDaddy, and I didn't realize the story about Janet Jackson. Well, I knew that, but, the, but how that affected GoDaddy. GoDaddy really started to take off. And I, I didn't realize that. Looking forward, As you know, Paul focuses on trends and looking forward, looking ahead, and usually with a positive twist, we're looking forward to things. But to set the stage, we like to go a little bit backwards. If you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about how websites and website domains and hosting and even the design and use of websites has changed over the past few decades. And I'm talking, Paul, right before COVID. We'll get into COVID, but before COVID, what's sort of a quick and dirty look at what's happened to the web since pretty much the time you really got into it? Sure.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that most of the sort of uh, historians, I suppose, of, of the internet, to kind of break down the internet in general and websites, design and such, into two main phases, and we're, we're kind of what I would say would be the tail end of the, the second phase right now, but. If you think of mid 90s, early 90s, mid 90s, websites were static pages. Uh, it was all just HTML. The fanciest thing you, you had on a web page was, you know, potentially a, a, an animation through, through an HTML flash text or something along those lines. You know, a lot of blinking lights to try to grab your attention, but it wasn't uh, terribly intuitive or interactive. It was simply a static page. And you could see, you know, the growth of the companies that were there back in that age were based around, like you know, you, an online uh, Britannica encyclopedia. For instance, you put all your 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 information, your images up, and then you could use it as a research as reference. That was kind of the early stage of the internet, where you know the the commerce side of it was there, but it wasn't huge. As mostly it was reference, it was academia, it was static pages, and then you get into you know the the timing is is. Of course, up for debate, but called around 2000-ish, okay. where websites started to turn into you know, more more communication. Uh, think about social media, the the MySpaces, open forums, uh, you, you had communities that started growing, and there were communication, collaboration type networks that started popping up. Again, MySpace, you know, Facebook was was early. In those days, AOL was kind of big in there with their with their Messenger app and, and such. And so you had this, this idea that the internet was no longer just a series of static pages, but is now an area to collaborate. And the technologies that advanced the internet forward were around that, where there were around collaboration or around instant communication. Uh, UX became a much bigger, bigger part of it because a website now wanted you to stay and spend as much time on there uh, on their site, on their presence as possible. So you see, I saw a lot of increases in usability and UX and a lot of studies around what makes people stay on a website. So if you think of like websites, and even then we're talking early 2000s, websites were the, the sidekick to the brick and mortar stores. They're the one, you know, they were there, they were the presence online. They were how on weekends or after hours, whenever a brick and mortar store was closed, you would interact with them from your website, yes, and you th- you saw things like you know the the Black Fridays and the the Cyber Mondays and, and such start to pop up, because people were taking the days off or, or, or doing those things online on commerce. And, and now you've got you've gotten I, the reason I say it, we're kind of towards the tail end of that. Now you're in the in age and COVID accelerated it, but we're, we started you know, prior to COVID anyway, where digital presence can be a hundred percent of what you are. You can as a as a large company. Operate without a you know a hard brick and mortar store at all. Uh, of course, you know Google's, Amazon's, etc., are are massive in those regards. But even smaller companies can start up. You can start a business. You don't even have to hold. If you're selling something, you don't even have to hold any inventory. You can drop ship your inventory to a to a customer. All you have to have is a supplier. So you've got the this series of innovation, and I think what GoDaddy likes to talk about is really the individual entrepreneur that is coming on and taking their side hustle and making that their main focus. And all you need is you need your digital presence, which, you know, the domain name is your brand. It's your digital presence online. You need that. You need a a hosting plans, which aren't terribly expensive and you need ideas. And, And that's really all it takes to be, Your own business online so really i think what we're looking at is going from this web 2.0 of large companies having very interactive collaborative you know trying to get as many customers as they can talking amongst themselves and buying their products so now you've almost got a democratization of everything where you've got these individual entrepreneurs these solopreneurs they're going through creating their own businesses and if you talk start thinking about the economic reverberations of that going forward You've got, you know, potentially billions of people that can have an online presence. Well, what if each of them really starts up and, and takes the power into their own hands of, of being their own boss and, and building a digital identity? That's really, really interesting.
0: It is. And Paul, that was really, truly a great summary. And you reminded me of some things. I had forgotten my girls, who are now 31, I have twin girls, their entry, if you will, into the web was MySpace. I'd forgotten all about MySpace. space. Yeah. I also forgot that initially the web was just a tool for information, resources, like a library. And the way that you brought us up to the current time, almost the current time, reminded me of a couple of things. One is it used to be, and Paul, I think you'll relate to this, that your statement of professionalism, your first statement of I'm legitimate real was, here's my business card, Paul. Now it's like, I got to have a website, here's my website, and frankly that's why I got a website. The other comment I want to make, which was great that you said is, you can have a business and no bricks and mortar. I actually have a client now, I don't know if there's an office or not, but they operate in many countries. And as you said, you don't necessarily even have to have bricks and mortar anymore. You made me think of things that I really hadn't thought about, and you did it so wonderfully in such a short period of time. I want to ask you now about this. We have listeners, Paul, who aren't just from the United States. Some are in India, some are in Europe, certainly listeners in Canada. So when you talked about that evolution, would you say that the evolution has been any different around the world than here in the United States or... They pretty much have followed the same track.
1: You know, I think that it started, you know, in in sort of the Western countries. You know, the the Internet grew from the United States. And I think that's, you know, without much controversy, right? The Internet grew from the United States. Uh, Western Europe adopted pretty quickly as well. And I think that the evolution now is accelerated uh, because we're, we, we've already learned the lessons. We did the whole Web.1, Web.2, et cetera. And you've got the developing nations. And specifically, the nations that have the, the mass populations, India and China, are, are making big progress in coming online. India is actually, the government is subsidizing high-speed internet. And there, you know, there are some real infrastructure uh, pieces that need to be worked out. But if you if you advance not too terribly far in the future, and you say that the large population centers of the world, India and China, etc., when they get their infrastructure up to speed and they have high-speed internet for everybody available, they're going to jump into a developed internet already, and you know they, they don't get to come along the for the ride very slowly. They're going to come in and already have the lessons learned from from the past twenty years uh, from the United States. So it's not the same ramp for them. No, uh, they're just kind of jumping into a fully formed field. And the good news is that there are echoes of how we got to where we are. So the, the ramp up if you're coming so coming on the internet is very natural and very quick. You know, you have kids right now, all they know is a life with the internet. Yes. Uh, the internet grew up from you know folks like you and I who knew of a life without the internet. But you know, people that are gonna be entrepreneurs, the millennials, etc, in the next many years. They don't know of a world without the internet. So there's not really a ramp up they have to worry about. There's not new technology to learn. It's just what they know. Very
0: good point there. I don't usually like to talk a lot about numbers and you don't have to talk a lot about numbers, Paul. We're talking about the web and we know that it's grown exponentially, certainly since the time you first got interested way back in the day. In terms of the numbers of businesses or individuals, who may have websites or the number of domain names can you quantify in any way any number that gives our audience an idea of the gargantuan size of the internet's presence i can
1: try so you know i can't tell you websites in general because if you think of websites for me it is much trickier because a one website facebook in theory is one website yeah. that has millions and millions of landing pages, millions and millions of profiles that each uh, on their own are, are websites. So that's kind of a hard thing for me to quantify. But I can tell you that uh, VeriSign, who is a, an industry provider, VeriSign runs the .com and, and the .net domain TLDs. So they're a large player and they actually do a very good job. Every quarter they release a, an industry report kind of gives you the, the general size of the internet where there's growing, shrinking, et cetera. And so I looked up before this discussion, they report that as of the fourth quarter of 2020, so as of the end of last year, okay, uh, there were 366 million domain names registered across wow. all TLDs. So wow. there's your, your basic scale is 366 individual domain names. Yes, each one of which can potentially, like in the Facebook or you know, Amazon, et cetera, world, be millions of, of websites or be millions of landing pages.
0: Wow, and Paul, I don't know if you would have any remembrance of this, but if you went back ten or twenty years when you were really getting into this, if you had a guess, what would
1: it have been? Ten million? If I knew then what I know now, okay, um, you know, I understood that the internet was where we were growing as a as a society. The ability, and we've we've always done this, you know, just looking historically. Every major innovation that we have just you know, in mankind has been around increasing communication or increasing commerce. So you think the wheel, right? It made trips shorter. The telephone, the airplane, everything was made to bridge a distance. And it didn't take a lot, even even in the early 90s or you know, late 80s, et cetera, to, to say, okay, well, this thing has the potential to take over how we execute on commerce, how we communicate, we, we don't have to call somebody, boy, I can just send them e- email now. You know, these are things that I think very early on were easy to get. I did not really anticipate the growth and the size that it is today. I didn't understand that uh, domain names would grow in such importance that real value was as- as- ascribed to them and that you know, if I had bought some very short, very memorable domain names back in the early 90s, I would be set on a beach somewhere with, with my millions of dollars uh, today. Yes. So, no, I, I didn't understand that part. I didn't quite take it to one step further. I, I would have needed to, to, to be a true visionary in the field.
0: Yes. I mentioned, Paul, I realized at some point last year, took me a long time, you know, I need to get a website. I want to ask you, in your opinion, do you think it's crucial for anybody, whether they're the solopreneur, I like that word, solopreneur, or somebody who's starting a business with some other people? Is it crucial now that somebody has to have a website presence?
1: Yeah. yeah I tried to find, I, I was kicking around my head. And my, my, my initial, my knee jerk is 100% absolutely. But then I, I kind of do that. I, I look for the knee jerk and then I try to back it up with, with real <laughs> uh, real yeah. thought. And so I try to think. I was like, okay, who could who could operate without? And, you know, and in the COVID world, you know, my my area I'm in the Midwest. Uh, a lot of like antique stores, places like that, uh, mom and pop shops. That typically, you know, the, the website for them is contact information, business hours, and such. And even with them, I thought, okay, well, they need the website to let me know when they're open, what are the hours of operation, what is the their information there. So that's important. Nobody that uses. This is, this is yellow book stuff and nobody uses a yellow book anymore. Right. So that information alone requires you to have the internet presence. And then you work into now, okay, the pandemic came along and you think about how much we really took advantage of our ability to walk to a spot and have physical contact, physical, physical proximity to each other. With that gone, with that stripped away, or at least not guaranteed. Things like online ordering, curbside pickup from mom and pop shops, takeout, the the growth of the Uber Eats and the the places along those lines. You really are if you're if you don't have a, an online presence in a world where you can't rely on foot traffic anymore, then you're 100% dead in the water. You, I mean, there, there's just no ability for you to grow your business or even run your business unless you have the virtual equivalent of foot traffic, which is your domain name, your website presence.
0: I think you put it very well, Paul, and I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm just gonna add to what you said, and this may be a bias that I have, Paul, I don't know, but if I wanna look up somebody who has a business, if I find that their only website presence is their Facebook page, somehow it makes them a lower class citizen to me then, oh, they don't have a website I can look at. I got to look at a Facebook page. and maybe just me. Maybe I'm being a little
1: biased here or unfair. <laughs> well, you know, I know mean, you really brought up earlier the business card. You think of a business card, what it used to be, not even all that long ago, call it 20 years ago, a business card was the name of your establishment, your address, your phone number, and maybe your fax number. And now you can't have a business card without your website address, your email address, if you're a professional, your LinkedIn profile, if you're online for support, your your Twitter profile, your Instagram, the other ways you use to reach out to your customers, these are all things that now fit onto your business card. And 100%. If you are today operating your business, and if I see, and this is my own bias, of course, showing, but yeah. if I see an AOL or an MSN or even a Gmail or a Hotmail or some of the the free email solutions. I don't ascribe the level of professionalism that I do to somebody who is using their digital identity, their brand going forward. And so I think that that's really, there is a level. And if this isn't really just for businesses. This is for professionals. It's for people who are out there submitting resumes and trying to get jobs. If you have your own domain name, if you have your own website that points to your, your resume or CV, that is a level of professionalism that I think is becoming more and more expected if not accepted.
0: Boy, that's a really good point. Some of the people that we've had here as guests on Looking Forward, Paul, when I ask them about how COVID has impacted the industry they're in, will often tell me things that aren't pleasant about how it's impacted them. When I ask you, what are some of the biggest changes that have occurred because of COVID on the web, You may have a different answer, and I'm thinking about the storefronts that you were speaking about who didn't have a website, right? So can you share with us a little bit about what you see as being the impact that COVID-19 has had on the web industry?
1: Yeah. I think that the biggest thing is companies of all sizes now understand that communication with their customers may not be possible face-to-face or even over, over the phone. You know, first off, you're seeing an unprecedented growth of small businesses getting online, and what they're looking for and getting online is, of course, what's my digital identity, which is my domain name. What is my presence, which is my website? What is my e-commerce solution, which is the, the the shopping cart and the the inventory management? How do I get all those things put together in a way that you know you can't expect every business owner to be a software engineer, of course. So how do you do this? Very easily, without having to to find somebody that can work on this for you. So you got this this massive increase of small business getting online. But what's really important to them now is if I don't have a physical presence, or if the foot traffic to my physical presence has diminished greatly due to COVID, how can I still reach out? How can I communicate? So you have the email blasts, you have the the message lists, you know the the, the email lists. You have online chat, online support. All of these things are becoming required part of communicating with your client base, whether you're, you know, if you're a small antique store, you've still got to have a way to negotiate on a a price of something that you put up online, send more pictures. I, you know, car dealerships, great thing about this. I I love this in that I've I've got two teenage boys. So I am in the stage right now of doing a lot of car shopping. I love the fact that I can look at pictures of a car from all over the world. And I can negotiate over email or over chat and not have to be in a dealership for five hours doing these things. And so yes. as businesses adapt to this, customers that the people that are impacted on, on the buy side of the equation are getting a much better experience. They're getting to much easier, much, much more refined experience. And I think we're just continuing to grow and accelerate towards that. And of course, COVID, we were already there. We were already kind of working our way there on the natural growth path. But you take the COVID and you say, we're going to make everything 100% online, that really tipped it over. I I just think about on occasion, if this pandemic happened 20 years ago, or or maybe even 15 years ago, the destruction to our economy would have been so much more severe. Oh, yeah. Simply because you, you, you did not have the options of standing up the alternative. Because we had the internet, because we had our infrastructure in place, because we were already in a motion of going towards an online ecosystem, I I think the economy itself was saved by the presence of, of this internet. It's a great point,
0: and I couldn't agree more. In fact, I thought at one point when you were talking earlier about what would the effects on all of us be if we didn't have the internet during this pandemic? The things that have been made available to us that in some cases, we never would have even known about. I've met some new people that I never would have even met if it weren't for the internet, if it weren't for COVID. It's just a remarkable thing. I wanted to also add to that, I'm hearing from people who are buying houses right now that are far away from them. They're buying houses online, and I know that has been happening, but was
1: that ramped up a little bit too by COVID? Oh, I think so. I mean... (laughs) It'll be interesting to see over the next few years. I think, you know, certainly it just started. But in the the 2000s, we've seen Silicon Valley, Seattle, you've seen some real tech hubs pop up where people who are looking for software or, you know, internet industry work have been conglomerating around the Facebooks, the Amazons, the the Microsofts of the world, et cetera, right? And now we're seeing those companies, and GoDaddy is one of them, allow remote because of covid we've we've tested out the systems in what you know there have been you know harvard business review review write-ups on the power of a workplace and the power of of interconnected working in, in office one-on-one talks and such well now we're, we're in a world where and i know this is personal experience here we've got a year where we haven't had any face-to-face interactions in, in my team in particular you know there aren't many that, that work for me in iowa we're, we're spread out across uh, the UK, Boston, Cayman wow. Islands, China, etc., and, and so I've got a very distributed team. But I always still had people to kick ideas around in, in my local office here in Cedar Rapids. You know, people that were adjacent to me. Yes. Yeah. But without that, we've we've had to adapt as as just employees and learn how to create those quick things. I think messaging Slack is a is a fantastic tool for a quick hey kind of bounce this idea off of you and replaces that walk to a desk and and, and hammer something out i think as the industry grows you're going to see remote be much easier to hire from and people will be able to live wherever they want and still do just as good of a job as if they were local so the areas like San Francisco or Seattle that are, are very massive tech hubs with very expensive cost of living, you got to see people say, okay, should I buy that, you know, million dollar free bedroom house, or can I go into the Midwest and buy a $200,000 five bedroom house? You know, so yeah. the, the, the calculations that are going to start happening as far as where people work and, and where they live, I think that you're going to see a massive increase in quality of life. Now, of course, quality of life in the, in the areas that have grown up is fantastic anyway, because the, the weather is beautiful out there. But I think you'll be able to see a, a, a big migration of tech workers to, to Midwest, to Southeast, and to some of these other areas that haven't really been the tech hubs in the past.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that. And some of that, of course, as you probably know, is already starting to happen. That's a perfect segue, Paul. Looking forward, looks into the future. Can't look too far. Nobody knew about COVID. It's hard to project too far out. But You talked about we're at the end of stage two in the web. I would like you to give our listeners some of your best thinking about how things might change, what might be new trends related to any aspect of the web over the next few years. Either because of COVID or as you said earlier, Paul, and I agree with you, things that would have happened anyway, they're just happening at a more accelerated rate. What differences or changes do you see, for example, in maybe the purchasing of websites, how they're used, how important they are, and the functionality, which I think was that stage two part that you were alluding to.
1: Sure, I, I think that the need for software engineers is, is going to continue to be hot. Uh, right now, you know, you you have this progression of the internet bringing everything up and you don't need quite as much on the interpersonal side of of the world you know doing deals and things of that nature the businessmen of of the future are going to need to know how to operate online and understand the dynamics of that so even if we're not talking about being software engineers i think business classes and courses are going to have to shift to look at how do you sell online how do you how do you market online And we'll see that shift. And in that, everybody is going to need to be able to take control of their individual presence online. I've talked about digital identity, digital presence a couple of times. But if you think about how I find somebody, it's the domain name. So everybody that has a digital presence, if they don't want to be locked into a walled garden, walled garden being like identifying yourself through your Facebook page or your LinkedIn profile. You know, there are pitfalls there. There were people in the past, you know, early stages of the internet, I and mean, you learn from the past, right? That were locked in. Their, their, the only presence they had was their MySpace page, or the only presence they had was their AOL tag and their AOL page. And when those services go offline, then you're left with restarting your your brand on something else. So some people move to Facebook, some people move to Instagram. There's all these things that keep popping up. If you control your your presence with your own domain name. So I'm paulnicks.com and I will always be you know, paulnicks.com as long yeah. as I continue to register the name, right? Yeah. So I can point that wherever I want. I, can, I, I think today I actually pointed to my LinkedIn profile. I don't really want to spend the time to create my own websites, but I'm, I'm glad that I control the destination of the, where this is. So if I want to point it to my, my Instagram or to my Twitter or to my Facebook or whatever the next big thing is that comes up, I control how people find me, how people look for me on the internet. Yeah. And then you take that, you expand it to where I talked about India and China. Billions of people are not yet on the internet, do not yet have a, a digital presence. So the need is going to be having a spot for all these people to come online and then having them have the ability to actually put something online. I think that kind of looking forward, I don't think that a Facebook is... Going to be scalable for this next generation going forward. As put all your stuff on on there, I would much prefer to see people take their domain names and build their own websites on them. And I think that tools that are are starting to pop up right now called no code, uh, no code tools, which would be very easy, as easy to use as a Photoshop, for instance, to create a web page where all the the backend code and everything is just perfectly encapsulated and done for you, and all you're doing is dragging and dropping. I think that's gonna be very valuable. And those things have been around for a while for simple static web pages. The the they're called the WYSIWYG or what you see is what you get editors. Those have been around for a while. But when you talk about like some of the newer things, you can actually start to attach shopping carts. You can attach, you know, customer marketing, uh, CRM tools, things so you can understand last time you touched your customer, last time you you emailed or call or called them, et cetera. You can do some really interesting things now attaching all these tools together. And you as a business person can create your presence online and hook all these things together and actually uh, have commerce on your website without understanding, without knowing the underlying code behind it. So I think the no-code tools and the the easy collaboration and piecing piecing together CRM and commerce and any sort of other aspects you may need for a website are going to be very important because not everybody getting online over the next few years, the billions of people that are still yet to go are going to have engineering backgrounds and they shouldn't have to have engineering backgrounds. So that's that's kind of the the broad thoughts. Uh, the secondary to that is if you look at if I look in the future and again my my bias will be showing here. I see billions of domain names. You know, we're only I said we're at 336 million or so registered. There's no reason that number shouldn't be billions because as I said, I think everybody should have a digital presence. The value of domain names the value of something that is short and memorable and easy to say and to put on a business card and, and people will, will remember it will only go up. The industry I specialize in in general is what we call the aftermarket, is the reselling uh, of domain names. And, and we're already seeing that, You know, the aftermarket has been growing for the past several years and it's it's still kind of small in my opinion. Like, there aren't all that many places to talk about domain name investing yet, whereas there are a you know, plethora of places to talk about stock investing and things of that nature. But I think that as far as growth potential, the value of domain names is going to continue to grow just because of the the supply demand economics.
0: Well, can you mention that example? You don't have to necessarily say the name, but that one example that you gave me when we first chatted, that aftermarket domain sale, which blew my mind.
1: Yeah, we're, we're pretty proud of it. I, I think that uh, we're talking about voice.com. Voice.com was a domain that we helped broker in 2019, and this was a domain that sold for $30 million. And it was at the time, and I think it still is, the the largest publicly reported like verified uh, domain name sale. There are a lot of domain name sales, by the way, that don't go reported. So I hesitate, I I put qualifiers on there of publicly reported, (laughs) because I think there have probably been 100 million plus type domain name sales that have happened that just aren't publicly reported as such. But $30 million is the largest we've had that's publicly reported as just a domain-only sale. And and really that's, if you look around, you look at the NFTs, uh, you know, NFT is non-fungible token, this blockchain work, people are selling art on the blockchain for millions of dollars. And it's great, you know, it's interesting, it's new technology. But art in general, you see classic cars going for millions of dollars. You you see these things that are going for millions of dollars that have value based off of supply and demand for sure. And then you look and turn your eye towards domain names and you think, okay, what can a domain name be used for? Well, it can be your, if you want to use it for art, you can, if you have a domain name that displays, you know, a piece of art that you you maybe have created, and that's your digital artwork. Great. It's an easy to remember domain name, put value on it. But domain name can also be the start of a multi-billion dollar enterprise. And you see companies all the time that are in the aftermarket buying their domain names. You know, the examples, teslamotors.com. Tesla Motors actually worked on Tesla Motors.com. It wasn't until just a few years ago, they upgraded. They bought tesla.com because they (laughs) understood that their brand was Tesla. Their brand was not Tesla Motors. Wow. You know, Facebook did it. They upgraded from the Facebook to Facebook. You've got all these examples. Twitter is another good one where Twitter started out without the vowels. So TWTTR, but people found that hard to remember and hard to type in. So then they, they upgraded in the aftermarket and bought the Twitter with the actual vowels in it. So you have all these examples of companies that kind of made a mistake early on in their branding. And, and if you think $30 million is the is the top sale of all time, that is an absolute steal. What would Tesla.com, what would Tesla pay for today? As massive as one of the most valuable companies in the world by market cap, what's the value of their brand on the internet of Tesla.com? Especially considering they are a dealership-less car company and the only car company to come out in the direct-to-consumer model. If every other industry is going direct-to-consumer, and the only way people can understand you or understand your products is by going to your domain name and by going to your website, the value of that property, the value of that domain name, that brand it is astronomical. And not everybody kind of gets that yet. And I think as more people understand that you put a, a retail store on Park Avenue because you know the type of buyer and you know the foot traf- traffic you're gonna get. Why would you not pay millions of dollars for a domain name that perfectly describes who you are, perfectly tells everybody what industry you're in, but opens yourself up to foot traffic from the entirety of the world, rather than just people who happen to be walking up and down Park Avenue at any given time. The value of domain names is going to to go up.
0: I think that's fascinating. This whole branding approach, the identity that you're talking about, Paul, reminds me of, say, for example, in Philadelphia, and this happens everywhere, of course, We have Lincoln Financial Field. We have Citizens Bank Park. Why did they pay the money to do that? It's all part of the brand, the identity, keeping their name out there. So it makes sense to me, the more I hear about it, that a domain name would be worth a lot of money. One other thing, if you could quickly comment, and I know you could talk for quite a while about it, but if you could quickly comment, you did allude to it, but I want you to just expand a little bit, Paul. India, China you say, well, there are a lot of people there who still really aren't plugged in in terms of using the internet maybe or in terms of their having an internet presence. What's the impact of that in the next few years? I mean, does that mean that the countries as well as the businesses selling are going to start booming even more because they have all these new consumers to sell to? What's the impact? Yeah,
1: I think that it's interesting. You'll see a shift. You think of, we'll talk about China for a little bit. China's contribution to the economy, uh, to the global economy, has has been labor, uh, cheap cheap labor, uh, specialization in in certain plastics, etc., that are able to be cranked out and then provided out. And what I think you'll see is instead of being part of the supply side, so that's the supply side of the of the global economy, as more and more Chinese citizens get online, it's going to take it's going to take governmental interference to create the infrastructure. I mean, there's there's a lot that's going to have to to happen, but I could certainly see China moving towards the demand side and being consumers. And you're starting to see this in some of the larger growth areas, Shanghai and Beijing, et cetera. But China will grow to be a consumer and not just a supplier to the global economy. And I think India is going to be the same thing. And I know India is actually the government themselves are putting uh, high-speed internet in in more rural areas and trying to, to boost up their presence. And the Indian culture actually is one of of entrepreneurship, and it's very much self starter and very aggressive to go out and, and build their lives and build their businesses. I think that you're going to see a, a large shift there of consuming, you know, digital cons- consumption, but also digital supply and just creating you know, new entrepreneurs coming out of out of India. So it's a, a pretty big shift from sort of supply side to the more macro uh, you know demand side where you've got. A consumer culture is going to start up there just because they will have access to all these things and some of the larger a lot of people maybe on your podcast don't understand that you know we have google we have amazon but in china they've got a a company called alibaba that not a lot of people have heard of but they are essentially google and amazon combined They've yeah. this massive company that a lot of commerce goes goes through and as this grows, you may be you may see them take a, a broader position in the global economy on the d- supply side. You may see their consumers go out and, and start buying from mom and pop shops, specialty stores like a soap maker in Colorado or something along those lines, because now there's the barrier just doesn't exist between the countries.
0: That is part of why this podcast is called Looking Forward, because there's opportunity there. The only other thing before we get to how people can get a hold of you and GoDaddy Daddy is a lot of what you've been talking about has been about opportunity. This is a topic that lends itself to opportunity. One specific area that you mentioned was a demand for software engineers. So my only other question, Paul, would be, if I'm in college, as your boys will soon be, I guess, but if I'm already in college, if I just got out of college and I'm looking for a career, so if I'm trying to figure out a major I'm trying to figure out what I should do with the rest of my life if I'm now 25 and maybe I have a career. I'm not sure if it's the right career. Or maybe I'm trying to look for a new career. I got laid off, COVID laid off a lot of people. Are there any other opportunities that you would see in terms of jobs, businesses, careers in this large and growing field?
1: I think that where I've sort of counseled my my teenagers is it's, it's in creation. So it doesn't have to be software engineer, but be a creator. That is where the industry and the jobs are, are going. If you can create something that has value on the software side, on the you know if you're arbitraging even by buying something cheap and then turning around and finding the right market because you have whatever connections you have and selling it. Uh, my, my, my oldest actually just told me a story of a friend of his who's buying, sneakers so and he's arbitraging essentially he, he's got people that can sell him nikes or adidas or whatever that are hot today and then turn around he knows the the right buyers so he's a middleman in selling those things wow. but he's essentially creating value because he understands those connections be a creator and then the, the, the opportunities will follow if your entirety of your existence is based off of you know just just doing something for somebody else maybe that makes you re- replaceable if your existence is that you are one of the only or the few people that can create this particular value and you market yourself in, in that way, then that is transferable across anywhere. And as we open up borders and, and open up everything, having a value, having a skill that sets you apart where you are creating value for a company, that's really important. So. Yeah, no, no specific areas. My bias, again, is to software engineering, because that's why I'm an engineer by trade. But, you know, aeronautical engineering, you know, people are going to be going off to space, the SpaceX program, and have a great admiration for, you know, there's all these industries out there. They're doing some really interesting, innovative things. And it's the the doers, the creators that are building it all. And not only are they adding value to, you know, the upstream product, but they're, they're making a good living because their value is compounded with a bunch of other people that are like-minded and create something really interesting.
0: Yes, I think it's a great point. And certainly so many of the things that have happened that are built around the internet happened because of innovators, people who saw how it could be used in different ways. And it's just incredible what's become of it. 366 million domain sites. That is remarkable. Yep. Well, finally, and I'm gonna give you a chance to say a few words here about GoDaddy as well. What's the best way for our listeners to find out more about you, Paul, and about GoDaddy and what you're doing these days and what GoDaddy's doing? And if you wouldn't mind also saying we didn't really get into this, GoDaddy is one of the biggest players in this world. So if you could just say a few words here at the end about all of that and we'll leave it there.
1: I will tell you I'm not gonna I'm not a great marketing spokesperson, uh, so I, I won't go into. T- <laughs> side, I will tell you this, that the way we're communicating today to to our customers is, is through the GoDaddy website uh, or, or the Twitter handles in GoDaddy Twitter handle. I can be reached through the, my, my Twitter handle. I use sort of an interesting story here, but I use Paul E. Nix as, as my Twitter handle because I was not fast enough to get Paul Nix, which as somebody in my field is, is, is really unfortunate. So you know, you've got me as, as Paul Enix, and I, I talk about things on the domain name Aftermarket. Uh, if you follow GoDaddy on Twitter, what the GoDaddy account these days is doing is actually doing a lot of highlighting of our customers. So we're pushing on the uh, entrepreneurial spirits of our customers. So we, we do a lot of highlighting of various customers. You know, our, our ads, you may have seen our commercials and such going through there. I know that uh, the GoDaddy Twitter account put a, a profile on the Detroit cookie company the other day. And so my family and I bought a bunch of cookies and they were fantastic. (laughs) So you'll you'll see a lot of that about highlighting our customers, highlighting what people are doing, what people can do with just a little bit of a spirit. And then of course the the GoDaddy tools. And what I should have also
0: asked you, Paul, do you know how they came up with the name GoDaddy? Whoever did, why GoDaddy?
1: Yeah, I do. Legend goes that it was a bunch of people in a room. The early founders of GoDaddy uh, just got together and were just throwing a bunch of ideas out there. And uh, GoDaddy was thrown out as a lark. But the next day when they wanted to review, that was the one name that was actually memorable enough for the founder to say, "You know, I really kind of liked that one because I can remember it now. Uh, So I think there were some... Yeah, there's probably some drinking involved. And if you can remember something after after a night of, of ideation the next day, then you've got a winner. So it's all about brandability and, and memorability.
0: Yeah, it's a great name. Paul, speaking of great, you've been a great guest. Fascinating stuff. I love the information and the futuristic thinking that you've displayed. And I'm just really grateful to have you on the show. So thank you so much for being our guest and looking forward. I appreciate you having me, Jeff. My
1: pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's ostroff dot com. This is Jeff Ostroff, inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.